Black, Brown, and Bilingue is to be part of creating a world in which Black and Brown identities are affirmed, bilingualism and biculturalism are nurtured, and equity is the driving force behind all that we do. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Black, Brown, and Bilingue. I am Marisa David. And I'm Lisette Jacobson. And with us today is a... uh, rising comedic genius, um, Reka Shankar. And uh, Reka is currently writing for Animaniacs, um, which is killing it, killing it. <laughs> My kids <laughs> love it. Good. <laughs> and is the former head writer and cast member um, at College Humor. Uh, she also created the digital series Hustle, which premiered at Slam Dance in 2021. Reka, thank you so much for joining us this beautiful day. Thank um, you so much for having me. Yeah, it's stunning. Everyone, weather around the world, stunning today. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was in preparation to to having this conversation with you. I'm not going to lie. I was a little, like, intimidated because, number one, your brilliance, honestly, shines shines through um and i was like well you know there's so many questions that we have and um the skit that really kind of was like yes we need to talk about this is the um the one where you talk about the the, where you were jilly janka yeah as a woman uh yeah (laughs) that was well because as we've experienced on this podcast is people will interview us Mm. and everything is well, Maurice, let's start with you. And that because Maurice and I are friends, we kind of, you know, we we're very similar in, in thinking. So then Maurice will answer all the questions and then it'll be like, well, let's what do you think? And I'm yeah. like, well, Maurice, just answer everything I would have said. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about, you know, what um, maybe your experience with that and um because I obviously don't want to just be about, can you tell me about your experience? In- oh, no, 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 totally. So with that sketch in particular, it's just, it's when you are uh, one of the only marginalized people in a predominantly like cis white hat space, um, you kind of get asked like the diversity questions, the sensitivity questions, the amount of applications I've filled out that mean very well, but they're like, how are you diverse? Explain. You're like, I am not diverse. Me against a bunch of white people, I guess, is diverse. It's not even very diverse. <laughs> uh, but me alone, I, I am not diverse. <laughs> uh, uh, just next to myself. Uh, if I'm with a bunch of my family members, that's also not diversity. That's all Indian people. <laughs> um, so just like those kind of questions are just like very well-meaning, but very dumb and like uh, whatever are on every application. And then in that same vein, people will always just ask like, oh, well, as a woman in comedy and as a, as a person of color in comedy or as a woman of color in comedy, blah, blah, blah. And again, very well-meaning questions that are trying to just uh, uh, highlight p- perhaps that you are one of few uh, comparatively. So I understand that, but it is ultimately not a fun question and is like a pretty, if you want a real answer is a pretty dense answer. And if you want like a bullshit answer, it's like, why are you asking? <laughs> uh, if you want me to be like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> then like you, maybe you don't have time for the answer. And I was doing all these film festivals 
actually for the script version of Hustle. And a lot of people were asking me that. That was really probably what the impetus was, where people were just being like, wow. So like, yeah, we really love diverse voices here. And you're like, really? So how come like, um, I don't really see that on your roster. Uh, like, uh, so what's it like being a diverse voice? What are some like stories you have? I'm like, what the fuck is this question? It's like, what an alien question to ask. Uh, so I was just getting annoyed with that. And I saw, I remember seeing something online um, one of those like classic like Comic-Con panels or something where they ask all the men in a line like something fun and then there'll be like one woman and they'll be like, so as a woman, what was it like to see yourself on screen? Whereas the guy was like, what's your favorite superhero or whatever? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I saw that too. Yeah, so I, I was just like, yeah, this is so stupid. Uh, so what if I take this to like the extreme and I remember my friend Mike Trapp, uh, uh, also a college humor writer, uh, and my boss at College Humor was like, oh, it'd be fun to set this in a totally like whimsical, stupid setting. And I think even just pitched like a chocolate factory. It's like, oh, my God, this should totally be like a Willy Wonka thing. Like, yeah, you have the literal like grand chocolatier in front of you, the height of whimsy and magic and wonder. And you're like, so like, but like as a woman, though, right, you know, and you just completely sidestep all the like, you know, oh, my God, you have Harry Potter here. And you're just like, yeah, but like. And they're so impressed by the yeah. male who saw the lime. Yeah, 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 exactly, by the lime, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun to write because it was like super heightened and absurd and stupid, which is exactly the zone I like to write in. And like, uh, uh, yeah, got to do a lot of really dumb joke pitches. So that's my extremely long answer for your question. No, 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 that's perfect because it kind of leads in nicely into um, our next question of, um, you know, post George Floyd and everything that has gone on, um, you know, comedy can have a lot of influence, um, you know, just like on the culture. What do you think is comedy's role in like pushing forward social justice issues, if any? Yeah, I mean, I think comedy tells you like who to punch up to and who not to punch down to, Uh, you know, they're, I feel like, especially after the murder of George Floyd, you see any sketch with a cop in it, probably differently. And I I bet a lot of other people already saw that before. Uh, So uh, I think there's like little things where it can move the conversation and tell you like, hey, this is actually, the reason this isn't funny is because we're punching down right now. Or uh, uh, the reason this is funny is because we're punching up. I think that's one huge way comedy can kind of affect the conversation. I think it also makes some things okay to talk about, um, especially depending on like, who's the one talking about it. Like, one of my favorites, I'm a big sketch person. One of my favorite sketch shows of all time is Key and Peele. And because that's a show made by Black creators uh, with a lot of Black voices in the room, I felt like they could talk about stuff that like if a different sketch show did, it'd be like, your audience is primarily white. So I think like kind of what happened with Chappelle's show sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like when you get white people taking the wrong idea from a sketch that's like, made for and by black people, for example. Uh, I feel like Key and Peele was able to sort of like take that and 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 not have that happen as much <laughs> uh, in this way that was like, oh yeah, uh, uh, there's sort of being able to bring up topics you weren't able to see before just by virtue of centering themselves in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really cool. So I, I wanna, I wanna, engaged right in, in this other conversation and, and um i think i've heard you right so not as a woman of color not as a woman <laughs> of comedy but just like as a comedian because i gotta tell you uh Rachel, like i tried stand up one time in college and like you know you know i was the fun friend the funny friend you know people were like oh dude you're funny and then I realized, like, being funny on a regular basis, like, with, with regularity, that's hard stuff. Can you just talk a little bit about, like, what, what's your process generally? Just what's that process for you in terms yeah. of writing and, and producing something that's funny? Yeah. So uh, I'll say, like, improv really helped me a lot. I didn't totally consider myself a performer uh, for a while, uh, but I knew improv was good for being a better writer. So that's originally what got me to take improv. But when I took it, I was like, oh, I love this. And I think it teaches you a few things. One, it teaches you how to be a better listener so that you're not just 
kind of listening for the idea that you want. You're listening for the idea that's already there. And it helps you make something new with, you know, your scene partner in that way. I think it also teaches you to be like flexible and not precious. I think that can be a really big stopping point in writing when you're being too precious with an idea that not that it doesn't work, but maybe it doesn't work the way you're doing it right now. Or you could like, I'm a big, like I, I used to be a video editor. I'm all for like, you take a huge section of something and delete it. You can copy and paste it and put it in a note or like make a new draft. I'm always making a new draft of the same thing that has like one line different maybe. Uh, and I think improv is really good at being like that scene is gone, whether it was good or the worst fucking thing you've ever seen, it's gone now. And you can't be precious about it. You can't like rest your laurels on it and you can't beat yourself up about it if it was bad. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that really helped. And I think it also uh, teaches you to make any idea work. Like there's a big tenet in improv, like treat your scene partner like they're a genius. And I think I've always really liked that idea because uh, I think when you're in a writer's room, one of the coolest things is someone comes in with like a half idea and you're like, no, that's, that's not a half idea. That's something like, what is it? I love doing that. And I, I, I felt like the best parts of Twitter were a little like that when I started to be on Twitter of like, I can make this joke work just like as an exercise, let me practice. So it was a lot about like practicing that stuff, whether in improv on Twitter, in my own personal like writing and things like that. And then just like, this is the answer everyone says doing it over and over and over <laughs> like the first pilot I wrote uh was actually the long form version of hustle which I really liked the second pilot I wrote will never see the light of day and is bad uh the third pilot I wrote <laughs> the third pilot I wrote is just okay and I'm like wow what a path the first thing I wrote was it's like your freshman album and your sophomore album right like it's like wow everything is getting worse from here and the fourth script I wrote was a little bit, but it's just like, nothing is linear. You have to have so many data points to like make that average line start going up. And by nature of that, a lot of those data points are gonna be low points. <laughs> uh, but just knowing that you always have to just keep doing it if you can, uh, makes you better. And then like process wise, I think I really do try to approach things from that angle of like, this idea, like give it a fair shot. This idea can work maybe think of it differently, go to my friends, be like, what, what do you think of this? Is this stupid? Is, is it stupid in a good way? Uh, what does this remind you of? Try, I need to be better about like watching other movies and things like that to like get inspiration. I'm such a TV person. If you list any movie, I probably have not seen it. Uh, uh, and I need to be better about that because I know those can also be just hugely inspirational. Um, and then, yeah, just doing an outline and like really trying to make that outline sing before I like go into scripting is probably the most detailed I can like break down a process into. Sure. What do you enjoy more? Because you've done both like in front of the camera and behind the camera. Yeah. Do, you, do you enjoy performing comedy or writing comedy the most? Like, man, I love both so much. Uh, it is, it's, it's lame, but it's very hard to pick. Like I love joke pitching so much uh, in a writer's room. I'm like really, really in my element there, I feel. Uh, but at the same time, if I can play like a character that is dumb, uh, that is very fun for me. I mean, the tricky thing with acting and the thing that will always be hard with it is like, it's a lot more um, demoralizing, at least for me. Uh, there's a lot more overt racism <laughs> we're not even dealing in the covert anymore we're dealing in the overt uh and a lot more uh overt sexism and a lot more like uh, beauty standard bullshit that is probably present in every other interaction i have but it's just like allowed in casting <laughs> you're allowed to write girl next door in a casting notice and it's like okay well i'm not gonna be asked to do that role uh, i know what that is code for kind of thing um or he'll straight up get a casting thing that's like ugly best friend or whatever or like funny sidekick <laughs> oh my god ever and honestly I, I am okay with being a funny sidekick in, in 
only because women are written so poorly that when they are the main character, they are truly just like a Mary Sue most of the time and have no personality. Mm -hmm. If I have to choose, like, I don't need to be a lead. I'd rather, I am always, I think the moment I got a nose ring, I am always asked to be like weird sexual best friend, which is so (laughs) funny to me because it's very far from my personality, but I think it's like, ooh, she's edgy. Like in actor terms, I have a nose ring. Um, so I really love Beth, but acting comes with its own, like, just, I can't, my friends who like only like acting and that's what they do and then audition twice a day. It's just, it's so demoralizing. Um, you could just like, you could be pinned for something, which basically means you're like a step away from getting it. It's like you and two other people. And then you realize like, oh, um, freaking uh, Angelina Jolie got this part. You're like, cool. I was never going to get this part. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, what? Yeah. Oh, of course. Like, I think something, some role I auditioned for, they, uh, they gave it to like Lucy Liu. I'm like, what are you, are you trying to pretend that you? Like, <laughs> yes. Like, almost like you're, you're like, um, you know, I'm going to connect it to like the work that Maurice and I do. It's like you're you're buffering the 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 position with like you want to make people think they have an option, but really you already know who you wanted. Ab, so this is like if every one of those actors explodes or something, then they might call you. Wanted me for this. You already knew who you wanted, but you Absol- want people to feel like they have options. And I totally get it. I would also hire Lucy Lou. Uh, <laughs> but like it is just like that you have to be so aware of that as an actor. You have to like, you can't like take your wins uh mm-hmm. really in this way. And like also just one more sidebar about acting too. A thing that will happen is like all of my uh by POC friends or BIPOC friends will we will always get the same auditions. It does not matter what the audition is for. It could be like seven foot tall, Korean basketball player. And like, I'll get it. My Persian friend who's five feet tall will get it. We'll all get it. And they'll be like, cause we just, you know, we're being flexible with it. I'm like, oh, okay. And then they'll open it to white people. You're like, you're being really flexible with it. <laughs> I see, okay. <laughs> and it's like, we don't play the same at all. We don't act the same at all, but they're just, you know, that's just how it is. We'll all get the same fucking roles. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, this reminds me of our conversation with Felix Sanchez. Mm. What did they say about that? He, so he, um, he's the co-founder of the National Foundation for Hispanics in the Arts. Mm-hmm. And he talked about having uh, or needing to really have like resilience and because you get punched a lot like they will totally. not you know, these these auditions are hardcore and it's not for the faint of heart um like totally and so I, when you answer like i you enjoy doing the writing and the acting but i can see the challenges being totally. so different because it's that overt like you said racism or bias oh yeah and i didn't even bring up this like the like body but like fat phobia ableism shit too is there like I have friends that like went to theater school in college and they're one of my friends was like oh you're literally told at least at her school like either gain weight or lose weight like you're you're too in between uh no one will cast you for like the the pretty thin girl quote unquote or the like fat whatever yeah Yeah, whatever and it's like that is that should be illegal <laughs> for a fucking teacher to tell you that or an employer to tell you that. Like, yeah. I mean, in many ways it is illegal, <laughs> but yeah, it's a racket. Yeah. That, you know, there, there, that, that sounds like, I think in, in any other space that would be called employee <laughs> discrimination. Discrim- like, like, yes. if, if I was to tell a teacher, you can't work here, you're too thin. Yeah. <laughs> we we, we want to be able to classify our teachers as like uh, as like skinny fat or like fat and you're kind of like too thin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so I guess so like with information like that, um, is there a way to change that? Is there a way to change the industry? Um, and 
who's going to take that off? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you see more things now where like people will start uh, sort of inclusion and in- initiatives that try to give power to the person themselves of like, hey, you are a member of the differently abled community. We want you to, here's a grant for you to do your project. You definitely see more of that now. There's just like, obviously not enough. And like, also, okay, you could make a movie or a TV show, at least in the realm I'm kind of working in. Uh, Is someone gonna pick it up? (laughs) Uh, uh, Who, you know, is it gonna be like streaming? where, okay, I have to download, you know, Taco Bell Plus to get this random TV show or whatever street, like, you know, like these random streaming websites that pop up that you never hear of that go after you. <laughs> like, is that what I have to download to get this one TV show? Or is it going to be on like CBS, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like a huge deciding factor. And like, it's just, I'm not providing any new information here. It's just like, if the people up top, you know, are all of one mm-hmm. mind and race (laughs) and age and orientation (laughs) and body type they will keep making the same crap uh and i think covid complicates things a little bit because i feel like people probably wanted to take fewer chances on stuff that was even slightly Mm. you know out of america's mainstream quote unquote uh uh ideal of a tv show and so, I mean, I don't know uh, what this fall lineup might look like, but mm-hmm. I wonder if it will be a little more uh, homogenous. Mm-hmm. Is there anything out right now, though, that you're like, wow, that's really dope. Like, I'm really proud that that's out. Oh, yeah. Uh, if I, a bit, the biggest regret I have in my life is that I didn't make Pen15. I think it's so good. <laughs> I, man... South Asian people really are clamoring for any sort of representation. Anytime I see someone on TV, any race, especially if they're Asian, it doesn't matter where in Asia, I'm like, wow, she is me. I see, I see fucking Sue Ellen Armstrong on Arthur. I'm like, wow, she is me. She is tan. <laughs> she is a cat. <laughs> Whatever. We're so fucking desperate. And, and, and Pen15 has done so well. It's not just to say, oh, Maya Erskine is, is representation just by existing. Uh, the show is also excellent uh especially season one just killed me and there were so many moments in that show that was like i have never fucking seen this and i'm like wow okay well they did it anna and i did it they made the show and thus tv's done uh (laughs) so i love that show i love bojack horseman that's another show i was like oh yeah it's done okay um um uh i love insecure um gosh there's so many things veep uh, I, love I love Veep. I love Veep. My husband loves Veep. Oh my God. Julia Louis Dreyfus could run over me with her car. And I'm like, <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> She's so perfect. Um, uh, yeah, those are probably my like favorite shows. And also, this is an old one, but it is my one of my all time favorite shows. I'm a big Frasier head. Mm-hmm. Now, you asked ostensibly about things in 2021. I'm sorry. I'm a huge Frasier head and it is getting a reboot and I hope it's good. Yeah. No, Frasier is good. Frasier is so good. And I can't, people will always be like, but Rika, that show is so white. I'm like, listen, I know, but you, the way I, you don't ever want to be Frasier. You don't want to be like friends with him. Whereas when you watch a show like friends, it is also all white. You kind of wished you were friends with them. Like Rachel Green's not gonna be friends with me. You know, I'm excluded already in this friend group. I don't want to be friends with Frazier. He's a he's a loser. <laughs> so you get to like laugh at him a lot. It, it traditionally, you know, he's in high society. You might be like, oh, he's punching down at me because I don't understand his fancy jokes. I'm like, no, I'm punching up at him because he's, he's stupid. Loser. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect show. I'll have to go back and give it another try because when I, I like, you know, like when it was on when we were kids, I was like, this is so boring. I, I, oh my God, it's dry as toast, but you know what? The writing is so good. And as someone in South Asian culture, you, a lot of people live in the same house as their uh, grandparents or their in-laws or whatever. 
Exactly. I, I, I the, the first time I ever saw that was on Hey Arnold, and it's because his parents died. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I've always lived with my grandparents, and so like seeing on uh, uh, Frasier, I'm like, a man lives with his father. Get out of the way. Let me see. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, now that you bring up your family, mm-hmm. um, so I was cracking up because I was on your website and I noticed the voicemail <laughs> from your mom. Yeah, you yeah. have to please, talk, like, does she still feel the same way? Like you should have gone into like nutrition, I think it was. Or- well, I have, I don't have my phone on me. I have like 75 unlistened to voicemails from her <laughs> that are all like that. She does not like what I do. She does not like this industry. I don't think she thinks I'm funny. She will constantly email, call, leave voice messages telling me to change my career all the time or go to grad school or whatever. Constantly. I told her I got to be in a movie is the between two friends movie. And she's like, I'm not going to be your cheerleader. I was like, wow. It was so funny because I think she's like stupid comedy or something. And I was. Yes, absolutely. And I know she wasn't trying to be funny, but I was cracking up because, you know, I think that is a little bit of a similarity with like the immigrant story, which I also Uh want to talk about, um, you know, that piece that you wrote. Uh, But my mom, when I told her I wanted to be a teacher, she's like, well, if you're going to go through all that trouble, why don't you go and like become a lawyer or a doctor? Because uh-huh. I want to teach. That's what I want to do. Oh, yeah. It was I want- like, it's never enough, it feels like. Oh, my God. And like, it's all it's all like, you know, people immigrate here so that their kids can get really well paid jobs a lot of the time mm-hmm. and and when they hear you want to do something for passion they're like huh like <laughs> my, my dad is an engineer and I remember once I asked him I was like oh what made you want to become an engineer and he was like what and I was like well why did you become an engineer like why did you want to do that he's like it's not a matter of want I had enough credits and I was like wow beautiful wow. I, I moved, re-moved to tears from that story. <laughs> You're the first person in my whole family to immigrate to the United States and you became an engineer because you had enough credits. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Gorgeous. So so let's talk about fashion then. Just yeah. Like if if you if you could work on any project, and I'm, again, I'm going to throw this out there, and, and I'm sure people do this to you all the time. When because, like, when you work in the industry, there are people outside of the industry who look at it and think how glorious it is. And I'm like, man, I wish I could do that, right? Yeah. I always wanted to write to like the office when I was watching it. You know, like if there was any project, past, present, future that you could work on, yeah. What would that? What would be like your passion project? Like you would. Hit- yeah, I think. Man, I mean, I said Pen15, and the thing is, the reason that show is so good is because they have such an insular group of writers that all know each other very well, but if they want to let me in, um, I would actually love that. Uh, but, like, sub- subject matter-wise, that's, like, really in a zone that I love. I love, like, retrospective, like, teenage girlhood, like, from the point of view of me looking back, not necessarily, like, like, Pen15 isn't a show necessarily for 13-year-olds. It's for people my age for people our age to look back on when they were 13. Yeah. Um, and I really dig that shit because I think there's so much to unpack there, especially as a young girl of color. I am sure, especially for queer uh, kids uh, and queer kids of color, there's so much to look back on that is sad and also deeply funny when you look back on it and like, mm-hmm. wow, I was really going to limited to trying to buy a stretchy top for $40, even though it looks like fucking shit. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was, and I never did it, but I did go with my white friends when they went to buy it. Like, you know, right, 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 right. Um, uh, there's so much there that I, I love and I'm so uh, I'm so aware of that time in my life. And I, I journaled like every day during that time. So it's such a hyper present part of my experience. And, and coupled with that, if someone would let me write a show, I do have a pilot about this, but if someone would let me just give me money to make it about NSYNC. <laughs> Love, expand on it, please. Because, okay, okay, were you team JT or who, who was your favorite? Excuse. If I, I could rip this off my wall right now, but I have a poster of JC Shazette. Yes, that's me too. He's, First of all, he had the more soulful voice too. A hundred voice. I 
I, I just got goosebumps. Okay. His voice is so good. Yeah. It is so, he is the best voice of the whole group. J- Justin Timberlake, he's even said that himself. Yes. He is so talented. It doesn't need to be a fucking like show off or gross or whatever. He does the be- most beautiful solos and like fills. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the most fun to sing and karaoke if you're like dividing parts with your friends. Um, and I read Lance Bass's autobiography called Out of Sync. Ooh. And when he talks about NSYNC going on tour in Europe, he's like, because uh, Lance was closeted at the time. And so when like the guys were going out to, you know, try to flirt with girls or whatever, Lance was like, oh, I, I'd stay back because, you know, I didn't really want to. And, you know, Joey, Justin and um, Chris would go party. And he's like, and JC would stay back because he's like, we have an early morning tomorrow. And I was like, chills. I was like, wow. A responsible man. Oh my God. Yeah. He, he goes to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> That's yeah. so hot. And he can sing. Sing me and to sleep, baby. Sing me to sleep, JC. Uh, I am obsessed with him. I love him so much. I wrote a pilot about like the rise of an NSYNC type band in Orlando, Florida in the mid 90s to compete with like a Backstreet Boys type band. And I, that is one of the only maybe three areas of expertise I have is NSYNC. So like, if someone wants to let me um, write that show, please. I think that would get a lot of views, honestly. I, I really do. That was such a, we were all just like fanatical. Oh my, and, and you know what, speaking to that too, like it was a time where like I had pretended to like sports when I was in elementary school, just to, like fit in with, you know, uh, the top, the cool tomboy and like mm-hmm. her guy friends and whatever. And this is a thing I was genuinely fanatical about and it felt okay to be, and I was an expert on, I got to be an expert on. And then of course people dunk on young kids, especially young girls or non-binary kids for like their fandoms, you know, their mm-hmm. ditzy, ditzier fandoms. I'm like, I'm sorry, all these fucking boys in my neighborhood, but like Pokemon and shit, isn't that lame? That <laughs> at least my people are real, like fuck up. Like, uh, 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 so like, look, I really want to like give young kids who are obsessed with boy bands, like their moment in the sun, like this Thank is beautiful. You. I'm here for it. And all, I mean, I shouldn't say all the lame bands that came after, but I'm sorry. It was no, but Sync all, it's, all it was team and Sync. I read this encyclopedia on boy bands. I'm sorry. I keep talking about this, but she highlighted such an excellent thing, which is that like boy bands are not just like frivolous sugar and candy, whatever for your brain to ingest. For some kids, it helps them figure out like, their sexuality, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm starting to have feelings I've never had before. Or like, oh, I like men. Or like, oh, I feel I relate to this. For, or like, whatever. It starts a lot of th- things stirring. In I did get married in the fifth grade to this boy. He gave me a grass ring. We went out into the baseball field, me and my friend. It was a double wedding. And they serenaded us to God must have spent a little more time on you. Okay. And here's, can I say, here's something else beautiful. That's a really, firstly, that's a really touching story. Congratulations. <laughs> um, but also, God must have spent a little more time on you. There's evolution here. Cause I thought that was one of the lamest fucking songs I had ever heard when I was little. And now I'm like, oh, I know the music video is, I think, about a mother to her son yes. who it went off to, to war. Yeah. Strange territory for NSYNC. I'll ignore it. Uh, but now I'm an adult. I'm like, that's a pretty song. Okay. Okay. And Marcus, I did interrupt you, I think, 75 times to continue talking about boy bands during that. And I'm, I am sorry. <laughs> okay. So, so I was just going to jump in and say that um, I remember, uh, like, reflecting back on it now, in the middle of, like, I, you know, I was a football player, in the middle of, like, this super heteronormative group of friends, we would sing in sync. So I, I just I just want to throw it out there that like we didn't do it in front of girls. In front of girls, yeah. we told them that oh I think is lame. But the yeah. truth is, is we all wanted to be them. Yes. Yes. Like today, I openly when I was when I worked at the high school, and I, I as a dean I had to go to like prom. Mm-hmm. And like when Bye 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 would come on, I'd go to the middle of the gym and I'm doing the dance moves 
And all the kids were like, Mr. McDaniel, you're crazy, bro. <laughs> and so now it was really cool. But uh, then it was, it was something that we, you know. You had, you had to lie to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we did. But, but it yeah. was, they were dope. See, it's beautiful. They're so catchy. And then there's like story to it. Like the whole No Strings Attached album was right after they parted with Lou Pearlman. No Strings Attached. Yes, Lou Pearlman. I mean, he could be a season. (laughs) I know. He's disgusting. (laughs) Oh, God. That's such a beautiful story. Because look at how we've geeked up to this in the last 10 minutes. But no, I think you're onto something because there's just so much. You can go in so many different avenues. Like, yes, yes. And I, I, I love that story, Maurice, because I do think everyone, even people that were like not into it, they have a relationship to those things, whether they thought it was lame and they turned to like in this encyclopedia I was reading, uh, boy bands, <laughs> they talked about people turning to Blink-182 and some 41 and those bands as like an anti-boy band when they're kind of the same boy bands. <laughs> <laughs> However, let's, if, you, if you come over to hip hop, remember there is one point at which Eminem, right? Like is on like this boy band attack. Mm-hmm. And then he starts B12, which is kind of like this hip hop boy band. Okay, okay, okay. We all want a taste. We all make fun of it, but we all want a little taste. Yep, yep. <laughs> so you, you get in and you put your boys on and that's listen. Yeah. <laughs> listen, if, if, if this comes to pass, I just want it to be known that Lissette and I are willing to just play like screaming fans in the background so i will listen i'm gonna play one too i I can't help it (laughs) (laughs) i'll even do a whole thing on like getting married oh my god beautiful yeah the the just kills me i had no business doing that by the way but listen (laughs) as long as that person wasn't ordained as a fifth grader i think you're (laughs) You're in the clear, yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So I, 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 I love, I love uh, the idea of that. I love. I think that sounds like an incredible project. Um, you know, you are currently working on on Animaniac, mm-hmm. um, and so when when they were rebooting that, I was kind of like, you know, I don't know. And we laid as a family and we watched the first episode with like when it first hit. And I was like, this is genius. This is yes. so good. It, it made me laugh. It made yeah. my kids laugh. There were so many smart things in there. Um, like, like, can you talk a little bit about that? And, and again, when it comes to Animaniacs, do you still get questions of like, as a writer of color? Because I don't know. Like, sure. <laughs> it, so like, Yeah. uh, So I actually, I'm a recent hire. I'm on season three. And if you notice, only season one is out on Hulu. So season two hasn't even come out. That's how long animation takes. Um, (laughs) So the stuff I've written for uh, or or helped more more aptly as a staff writer, you kind of joke pitch a lot, um, hasn't come out yet. But speaking to season one, because I've now seen the first season a few times, um, I think... Uh, one, I was also worried about the reboot uh, uh, and was really pleasantly surprised at how funny it was. And I think in a lot of ways it is better than the old version just because there are certain tropes that like when I watch the old one, I'm like, I don't need a hello nurse. And like the reboot of Animatics is like, yeah, we don't either. We don't need the guys fawning after our like weird anatomically, anatomically like fucked weird looking nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, 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 great. So I like that they took those cues from just like, um, the evolution of time. Uh, uh, but speaking to like how people ask me about it, not yet. Like I think since it's so recent, uh, cause I started writing for them in February. No one has really asked me in that way. Uh, I do think there are still little, some, uh, you know, I don't know if it's me, if it's other people, but I do feel sometimes a little brush of like, oh, you're a diversity hire kind of uh, whisperings and things, which is a really hard, it's a really hard pill to swallow because it's, I I have a friend who actually I based half of Hustle on. She was my old roommate and she's a black woman. And she's the one that said this to me once. It's just like, it, okay. First of all, like if people think that like 
fuck them. But also the amount of times you were probably overlooked for the same exact reason. It can't mm-hmm. even compare to this like one time, you know? And I was like, mm-hmm. that is, and you'll never know all those times you were overlooked for that reason. So you can't be like, well, I was turned down for 20 jobs because of this. And I got this one. You'll never know. Uh, but it is happening. <laughs> yeah, we get that in education, Maurice, don't we? Where people will look at us like, oh yeah, you're here to meet a quota. Which is like, what? there's nothing you can do. If you're like, well, I have a, I won best teacher in the world, <laughs> you know, like you, there's no credentials you could have that can fight that statement. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so interesting because I literally had a former coworker word got back to me, right? That uh, we had both gone for the same job. And um, her statement was that I was hired because I was black. To which I said, oh, well, <laughs> what do you mean? Okay. I said, you have a building that is 18% African-American and you have one certified yeah. black staff member. So yeah. if I was hired because I was black, good. Yeah. Good. That's recognition of the fact that we need more black educators in this building. Yeah. And, and, and then the second part of it is, is even if I get the job because I'm black, guess what I have to do to keep the job? Ab- Absolutely. With I remember reading that from a lot of really smart people on Twitter, which is an oxymoron sometimes. Uh, but uh, uh, during all those like Harvard affirmative action debates um, of like people being like, OK, if I am uh, a black student, a native student, a Latinx student that got admitted to Harvard for my race, what the fuck got me an honor, like honors, you know, or, or summa cum laude. And you're like, yeah, they don't just like fucking give you A's there. If you fail out, that looks bad on them. You know, like that's a very hard thing to maintain if they just give it to you for no fucking reason mm-hmm. or whatever. So exactly what you're saying. How the fuck did you keep your job? How the fuck did you teach kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. Now, w- when um, you think about like the environment right now with anime EX, are you, do you feel like you're the only or is there more representation? There's a little more representation. It's still, it's still a, a bit of a homogenous room, but I do feel everyone in there is very nice and, and open. So it is definitely like a, a nicer experience that I've maybe had in like, predominantly white rooms before because mm-hmm. um, sometimes you do feel like that sense of like I'm the only I'm the set like I've had friends who've been like oh I was basically told or through the grapevine her and I'm kind of a sensitivity person or consultant in the room uh, which sucks again it's not something you can like fight against mm-hmm. and it's a, it, and then it, but the amount of uh, the amount that you have to carry on your back when you hear something like that Mm-hmm. Because then every interaction is is tinted with that. You go, oh, am I actually going to be taken seriously if I say something, or am I just here so that they can take like a photo, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I to be clear, I don't feel that in this room, but I I know that feeling, and I and I've been there, and it's so upsetting. And then you hear things like I I was an improviser at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and someone the week after I got on, this is like so inside baseball, but it's like very coveted to get on a team. There are people try 10 times, you know, and there's only auditions twice a year or once a year in New York. Uh, and so I got on and I had worked my ass up. I had auditioned five times. Um, and I, I knew I crushed my audition. That was like, if I don't get this, this is like, they just fucking hate me. Uh, and so I got on and I went to a show just to like support a friend and someone was like, Oh, you got on You're a diversity hire. White guy. And I was like, (laughs) and I, Gosh. And I was 25 and I didn't, I don't even know if, if someone said that to my face now, if I would know how to respond, I'm 31 now, right. uh, but I certainly didn't know how to respond then. And it was just so dry. He did apologize to me afterward. Cause I think he saw my face, mm-hmm. but it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And you know, it's also been my experience where, uh, let's say you're not the only marginalized person in the room, it almost becomes a situation where the two 
Yes, you have to compete. You have to compete where it's like we can't have two diverse oh my God. parts. And so yeah. but, but the environment then creates like this competition when it oh, shouldn't yeah. be like that. And, and I think that's part of why Maurice and I started Black Brown and Mimi mm-hmm. because sometimes it feels like it's one or the other. You can't have both. Yeah. And it's like you experience that too. A hundred percent. It's a scarcity complex. And I, I really hate when my own brain feeds into it. Uh, when you do it to yourself, yeah. you're like, Oh, there's one other Indian person. Like for me, uh, uh, I, I'm in competition with her. It's like, actually, if I zoom out, we have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> These are unrelated things or like we are each our own person and contribute different things, but you can't help it because people make you feel that way and they make you feel like one of the good ones or whatever when they hire you. And yeah, right? Like, and so then what, if there's another good one, you're like, wait a minute, there's two good ones and you have to catch yourself from falling into that trap that they kind of set for you mm-hmm. to, to feel that way. So so episode one of this season, uh-huh. you know, we, we, um, uh, we have talked, we talked about uh, exceptionalism and, yeah. and tokenism and and um, this idea that i think it's something that, that i have experienced regularly and i'm probably still experiencing a little bit um whereas lasetta and i work in the same school district now i think she has talk, uh, talked about how she feels a little bit more at home now we have so many latino staff members it's great That's i've great. never been in a place like this however there still are very few uh, African-American staff members in our district and then like speak Spanish right and and there's this idea though right where like people say oh, okay Maurice though is not like one of those black and it is it's oh it's it's infuriating right this idea that like um, he's one of the good ones and, and then, you know, again, that idea that, like, I don't know, there's just a lot to live up to. And, yeah, and then add to that is, like, uh, do they like me? And I've said this to Maurice, because I will watch people, right, because he's my friend, and I will watch the room. And I will see how they are almost in awe of him because he's a Black male educator, which is such a scarcity, but then he's also bilingual on top of that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, do they like you, Maurice, or do they like how they feel about themselves for liking you? Mm, mm, deep. There's a lot of layers here. We can really feel the bag, but, you know, that's kind of what we've talked about on, on our uh, first episode. Do you feel like that sometimes? Uh, yes. Um, I feel like, I've talked with the, about this with a few uh, of my women of color friends of like, uh, this is so niche and we'll tell you, give you a little glimpse to how stupid the comedy world is, but you'll like, you'll like post a tweet of like a funny joke that has, it's just an irreverent, stupid joke about nothing. Okay. gets a few likes you post uh, a joke maybe that has um, a, a little bit of a take about your personal marginalization. So like, uh, uh, what, like whatever it is, I, uh, I'll make a joke about someone being racist about me being Indian or whatever. And then, people come out of the woodwork and they like that and I'm like oh you like when I talk about this because it makes you feel good that you're like yeah that sucks like hit like like." (laughs) and you're like and I'm like interesting and I've talked about that with my friends like we're only allowed to be like authorities on like on like Indian American issues so they're like oh that's really interesting but if I want to talk about J.C. Chazay, which I would argue I may be even more of an authority on, <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't get my Ph.D. on that. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like you have so much more to say. And yeah, and totally. We, we uh, OK, not today in drugs. I hate people that do that. But we interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson. Wow. Yeah. And we were like, OK, but he was very clear on like he enjoys talking about astrophysics you know he had- and i get I, weirdly i get that from him i sort of got i get that <laughs> i kind of caught that yeah yeah and 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 you know how people just somehow always want to hear him talk about race and Yes, the black scientist. Um, but he has so much more to offer. And it also, Maurice, I remember you talked about Malcolm X and how he said black people have more to talk about than just being black. It, 
it, and it kind of not to bring it back to the stupid sketch I wrote, but just like, yeah, like that stuff. I, I like talking about, you know, my cultural experience and whatever, but I also like, especially as a comedian, when you're getting put into roles and cast as certain things, mm-hmm. I'm like, I am also ultimately a stupid comedian. Mm-hmm. And I like talking about a lot of crap, <laughs> just like everyone does. And also no race, culture, religion, orientation is a monolith. Mm-hmm. So you might talk to me about some piece of Indian media. Like people are like, have you seen Indian matchmaker or, or what the fuck is it called? Uh, is that what it's called? Whatever, that show on Netflix about arranged marriage, like matchmaking. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And people, uh, the amount of people that ask me if I watch that, I was like, no, 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 no. And if I watch it and I tell you I don't like it, that's not a monolith opinion. I have no idea what, my, I think my parents found it fun because my parents don't also notice racism. <laughs> um, but I think like other people I know found it fun. Other people were like, I'm making it a moral point to not watch this. Everyone is different <laughs> amen amen so as we do up go ahead maurice i, I want to ask one more question yeah i, I, I mentioned it earlier uh the, the diversity is so in skit okay <laughs> i wanted to just come back to this because it was <laughs> it it's it really defined and in fact i didn't know that it was from 2018 i thought it okay. had to be from 2020 because <laughs> social media breakup watching <laughs> Hashtag BLM, the number of black squares I saw on my Instagram on that one Tuesday. And there were like people, like I watched folk like at at um at protests here in my hometown. And like they're, you know, um on Snapchat and like performative it was like and I think you were hitting on something <laughs> that was so so true. How do we how do we I, I guess I just wanted to let you know it was genius. Oh, thank you. And, and also, it was ahead of the, ahead of the game because you hit it in 2018, <laughs> and then all of a sudden in 2020, it came to fruition, um, right? And you could really see the the hashtag literally trending on you know different formats of social media. I suppose my question, right, is: Are we? Are, are, are we in a are we in a different space right now? Like, how do we <laughs> keep diversity from just being trendy? Yeah, I mean, God, it is a weird thing because there are some people who don't see those messages unless their friend posts about it on Instagram or something. So, like. My, one of my like uh, family members was saying um, the black square was how his like hedge fund group of like finance bros was starting to pay attention. Mm. And it's like, fuck, you know, it is. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, yeah. It's, it's tough. And like, I, you know, in my group of friends who are all like coastal liberal type people, they roll their eyes at that. And they're like, oh, this person's performatively putting up this graphic about blah, 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 blah. But they didn't even go to the march or they didn't even call in and stuff. And it, it, it is so valid because that is extremely like eye rolly. But again, at the same time, I think of the people like, especially, you know, from College Humor, I have followers that are young and that are not coastal liberals that are like in the middle of Nebraska or whatever. Uh, and that is the first time they're seeing that post about mutual aid or whatever. And we are getting them to donate by consistently posting, which looks stupid and feels gross to constantly like be like, hey, look at me, I'm supporting a cause or whatever. Or like, here's my receipt to um, stop AAPI hate or whatever. It feels very performative, but for some people that does inspire them. So like, I I feel really conflicted about it. Cause like when I, I volunteer, with um, this, or, uh, with LA Can and Homie Made Meals in Los Angeles. And if I were to ask them, hey guys, does it look performative if I like post about you guys? I'm sure they'd be like, what? No, po- please get people to, vol- to volunteer and to give us money, you know? Um, and, and I have friends who have like posted things like money is not a band-aid uh, uh, for an organization. Like you can't just donate and call it a day. I'm like, Absolutely. Uh, but if someone has the option and they're going to donate or do nothing, I would so much rather they donate. Because <laughs> every organization, and I've only spoken to the places I have worked with, but like I remember 
we did this fundraiser for Stop AAPI Hate, and there were organizers from the uh, LA area talking, and one of them was like, people think our money goes towards like marching in the streets. It's like, some of that does. Some of it goes towards like buying office supplies and printer ink and like (laughs) granola bars so that the volunteers can eat something and like gas to drive stuff around, to drop off at different centers. It's just like the boring crap that if you didn't have, you you don't, like the graphics, who's designing all those graphics? You gotta pay someone. those like little things you're sharing on Instagram. So I feel so conflicted because there is so much performance in it. There is so much like, look at me at a protest or whatever. Um, But I hope it is all in the direction and bending in the direction of something of more awareness and actual like participation. Cause I'm like, hey, if you're donating, you know what? I'm sure that that person getting a meal on Skid Row doesn't give a fuck if it was performative or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, thanks for the meal. So mm-hmm. I like, I, d- I just don't want to be so far up my own ass about that stuff <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm like, fine, I'll never post and I'll never do you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it, that's a really shitty answer to your question. But no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's actually perfect. You should look at, I think too, you have to look at like, everything that a person does exactly it's not just the one march you know are they really living a life where they're trying to move these things forward exactly and i think too you can also on a personal level assess like does that person feel like my friend and like they're looking out for this stuff in their daily life i'm not saying they got to scream at every person doing something uh, you know whatever all the time but do they feel like do i feel like i can talk to them about this kind of stuff and and or and that makes the posting feel less scummy and gross and more authentic Um, more genuine yeah yeah or is this someone that like anytime i've brought up this issue they're like and then now they're like blm black square or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah right so um thank you i'm I'm getting ready to wrap up here um but i'm thinking to myself this is the most i've laughed in any interview which makes sense though right (laughs) (laughs) who you are very nice <laughs> this is the, the most i've laughed in any interview that we've done um but thank you so much for being with us something that we do uh before the end is we want uh our guests to leave our listeners with one final thought mm-hmm. and so um what is one thing that you would hope our listeners walk away with from this interview Ooh. Ooh. okay this is not something i said but it is something i think and i probably anytime someone has ever asked me a question like this, this is what I will say. Uh, There is a quote, bear with me, it's from a stupid place, from the true Hollywood story on Heidi Klum that I saw on an airplane. And she says, plenty of people will say no to you. You can't say no to yourself. And I think about that a lot in very small ways, whether it's just like sending someone an email uh, like asking about something, you know, like, hey, do you mind doing me this favor or giving me advice about this thing? Or like big things, like asking for a promotion or negotiating something for yourself. Like so many people are already going to default to know or they just like are caught up in their own shit and not thinking about you. And especially if you are marginalized, right. they're not thinking about you. And uh, I think whatever those things you can do to say yes to yourself, whether it's like writing or pursuing your passion career and not just doing what someone's told you to do or uh, uh, finding communities that you can thrive in, like do those things because they are very helpful. Uh, Maybe that's too tangential to what the interview was, but I think about that quote constantly. (laughs) Perfect. That's pretty well said. And um, Maurice and I didn't say no to ourselves when we started to do this. Hell yeah. Right. Like, I do think people do that when they're like, I shouldn't start a podcast. I don't have anything to say. It's like, well, of course you don't. You have a podcast. Like you didn't start yet. Or like, I don't, in comedy, people will be like, I don't have enough to put on a website. I'm like, do you have a name and an email address? Like, Mm -hmm. or just like get a Facebook page. I'm not telling you to pay for a website. Get something, especially if someone had to look for writers. Mm -hmm. It is fucking hard to find people when they don't have a website. (laughs) If your name's Mike Jones and you're the funniest fucker on earth, I cannot find you, man. (laughs) 
like so true. And like, you know, oh my gosh, I feel like I can keep going on. But just the fact that you posted your mom's voicemail, because I have a lot of funny stuff from mom, like her text messages. I'm like, mom, don't just stick to Spanish, man. If my mom could text, it would be rude as hell. She already doesn't understand that sometimes she'll post on my YouTube as a comment that that's not emailing me. It is rude. <laughs> my dad went on Facebook Live. My dad went on Facebook Live on the toilet and he didn't know it. And I like call my siblings. I'm like, dad's on the toilet on Facebook Live. And I can hear my brother in on Facebook Live banging on the door, like, get off, hang up, daddy. Oh my God. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Maurice. I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. What you want to say? Listen. I- Today I was I was trying not to uh, demonstrate my male privilege. No, I am. I truly interrupted you so many times, Maurice, and I am sorry because it was all to talk about JC today, and I am sorry. <laughs> and I know better than to get between NC fans. And <laughs> thank you. Just, Wise man. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. We look forward to watching a show about NSYNC or a band like them in the future. Uh, I'm legitimately hoping and believing that that's going to come to pass. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, Black, Brown, and Feeling Way, I'm Maurice McDavid. And I'm Lisa Jacobson. Muchas gracias for tuning in. Adios. Mm-hmm.